Welcome to this week's episode of the Human Enhancement Podcast. This is your host, Jeffrey Wu, and I'm really excited to have our guest of honor today, and he's actually in studio, so a, a special, you know, rare occasion. Uh, his name is Dr. Scott Schur. He's an expert in hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and for those who might not know what that is, uh, I'll explain some, some layman's term, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know. I'm happy to it? fill in the gaps, my Fill friend. in the gaps is that, <laughs> uh, well, obviously, life requires most, you know, a most complicated life requires oxygen for aerobic respiration. Um, yes, indeed. And there's been a lot of exciting research on if we could have more oxygen in a pressurized chamber or, 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 or without. Could that be interesting for not just therapeutic effects, but also biohacking or enhancement purposes? Mm-hmm. So excited to have this conversation. I think that's been an interesting topic of late recently. So I get to, to be a here. guest of honor. That's so exciting. <laughs> I don't get to be a guest of honor very often. No, it's nice to be in studio and have the, ca- the conversation in, yeah. in person. It's definitely, I think, just a lot more fun and dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hyperbaric therapy goes back a long time. So yeah. back from the 1800s, mid-1800s, when they were actually making bridges yeah. and diving under the water to actually muck out the dirt. And they had these chambers that were pressurized, yeah. actually, at the time. And the people that were on these these uh, these rigs underneath the water, if they came up too fast, they get these terrible symptoms called the bends. bends. Yes. Yeah. So decompression illness, the bends, yeah. it's been known about for a while. But yeah. what they also realized when they were building these bridges is that if you went back into the chamber, so down underneath the water again, digging out the muck of the dirt for the, the pylons for the bridges, all your symptoms went away. So then they decided, well, what if we could simulate this type of pressure in a, an actual chamber? And that's where hyperbaric therapy kind of came from. But was that oxygenated or was it just like high pressure, just a high pressure environment? Just high pressure environment. Okay. So at that point, oxygen hadn't really been figured out how to actually liquefy it or how to concentrate it. Right. That wasn't until like the 1930s or so. Okay. Actually, it was the military, of course, yeah. right, that did it. And it didn't become really a medical therapy until actually the 1950s and 1960s. Yeah. It actually initially was, uh, you were pressurizing without the oxygen, uh, pressurizing air uh, in an operating room in, okay. in actually like in a surgical suite so that everybody was getting more oxygen. Because when you actually just pressurize air, air has 21% oxygen in it. Right. But if you pressurize it, you're actually getting more oxygen into circulation, even if you're not increasing the amount of oxygen in the, the air that you're breathing. Right. It's all physics and laws and those kinds of things. Yeah. But when they realized that if you increase the amount of oxygen in the air that you were breathing inspired, and then you also were pressurized, then you can drive a lot more oxygen into the body, 12 times, 1200% more. Hmm. And then you know, what can you do with that oxygen is the real right. question. And so over the last, I don't know, 70 years or so since then, it's really been an arc of understanding what those conditions, what the capacity of this very simple technology can do. Right. And so in my world, I was always looking for something that kind of bridged the gap between the conventional space, the conventional medical world, and the alternative, the integrative, the functional, all these words to describe all that now. But there are few therapies out there that really can kind of bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And I was a simple-minded medical student at this place called Shock Trauma in Baltimore, and they had this place called the Shock Trauma Center. And inside that center, lots of shock, lots of trauma. Uh, you've heard of The Wire, I'm yeah, sure. Okay. So you've heard of The Wire before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah The Wire is a very famous So idea. that was your life, but in the hospital. Yeah, so this one facility kind of took all that shock and trauma and like it was all there, right? I mean, gunshot wounds, stabbings, everything. So this is like a daily occurrence for you. You're just like, wow, like you, you're kind of a battlefield surgeon or something. Well, I was just a medical student, man. Okay, so okay, I wasn't okay. like, I wasn't, I was like watching things happen okay. in real time. And I saw some crazy stuff. But you were a resident or a student at the time? I was actually a medical student at the okay. time. Yeah. And so as a medical student, you still have to like take the same kind There's of. some clinical courses and experience. Yeah, well, you definitely. Yeah. So your first two years of medical school, you're kind of more learning about yeah. the, the, like the physiology and bench and like most of the classwork right the second two years you're more out there in the on the in the unit in the uh in the hospital uh doing rounds you know learning about different specialties and figuring out what you want to do with your life and so in the basement of the shock trauma center is a huge hyperbaric chamber okay so that was your first exposure yeah or was was. it okay okay okay. yeah it was yeah and i didn't know what it was and and they were treating people with carbon monoxide poisoning okay and also with something something called uh, necrotizing fasciitis which is like this terrible flesh-eating bacteria and huh. it's like you've, there's been terrible pictures in the news over the years on this particular type of disease because it's like just terrible. But hyperbaric therapy actually can reverse it and actually stop it in its tracks. Because the bacteria is anaerobic? Yeah, okay. exactly. You're, you're yeah. there, man. So the bacteria does not like oxygen and you yeah. flood it with oxygen in the body. 
it stops it in its tracks. It's right. actually what's called bactericidal. So it right. actually kills the bacteria. And when I learned it was just pressure and oxygen, I was like, well, I can get into that. That's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. And so I learned more about it. And I learned about this, just the idea of, of how basic this physiology and the physiological change we could make. Right. And it really came down to three things. It was reversing hypoxia yeah. or low oxygen states, decreasing inflammation, and killing bugs. Yeah. Especially bugs that don't like high oxygen. Right. Lyme disease is another bug like that. Staph aureus is another bug like that. And staph yeah. is something that most of us have maybe heard something called MRSA before, yeah. MRSA, yeah. which is a, kind of a nasty skin bug, cause abscesses and lots of juicy stuff. And, I mean, you hear on the, on, on the news all the time that there's just like drug-resistant MRSA. Yeah. Like, this is going to take over the world. Like, we're all screwed. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> definitely a big problem. But I, I mean, guess oxygen is different, right? Like, ox, I mean, you, one does not... It will be much more difficult to evolve. Yeah. Just like okay, bacteria is going to evolve aerobic respiration. It's not as not as not trivial, easy. Right? Yeah, yeah. And as far as uh, staff goes and others, uh, the way hyperbaric therapy works is is that sort of high level what I said, right. right? On the sort of deeper level of how it works is it changes physiology in a number of ways. Yeah. And basically, basically what it does is optimizes wound healing and in all stages of it. So it helps with the initial. Uh, ability of the body to to respond with neutrophils and other types of white blood, right. white blood cells to help to get to an infection. Right. It helps prevent scar tissue forming right. on the other end. And in the middle, decreases inflammation, decreases swelling, uh, recreates new blood vessels right. in the area that may have been injured. Um, it helps with stem cell release from the bone right. marrow. It optimizes the mitochondrial performance. So it right. allows ATP to be formed at a much higher level. And also, if you're diffusing oxygen further into tissue because you have more of it, right. just like osmosis, right? You go from a high level to a low level. When you have more oxygen that's floating in the body, right. more of that oxygen can get diffused into the body, into the brain, into right. the, the knee or wherever. So right? basically what it sounds like is, is that oxygen tends to be a limiting substrate for a lot of these reactions, right? For mitochondria, right. for aerobic respiration. Uh, you feed carbs or ketones or, you know, the breakdown of fat into the mitochondria, but you also need oxygen. Yes, so, absolutely. So, so, so if you don't really, have oxygen, nothing's going to happen. Right. So, so really like <laughs> the, the, the claim here is that, well, if you can unlock, because you can eat more carbs, you can eat more, you can induce more ketones, but you can't necessarily induce more oxygen as easy, uh, as readily, right? Like there's just right. not more oxygen in some part of the world than others. Right. And what unless, you can, yeah. unless you have a, hyperbaric chamber well there's two ways right so there's doping right and we okay. know about doping yeah. right you have people like lance armstrong and other bicyclers and things that'll yeah. do things take like epo and auto transfusion and right. what they both do is basically the same thing epo epogen is the, the full name of the drug right. actually increases the red blood cell mass in your body and the more red blood cells you have you deliver more oxygen they deliver you more yeah. oxygen right so but so a hyperbaric chamber works in a different way right instead of saturating the red blood cells which are usually how oxygen is carried in the bloodstream, we actually bypass the red blood cells. So you're saying you're just suffusing directly into the skin. It's like, not in the skin, to the, into, the, into the arteries themselves, okay. into the blood vessels themselves. Okay. So the more oxygen you have that's pressurized, the more of that oxygen that goes into liquid form in your bloodstream I directly. See. So I it's see. not being carried by a red blood cell. It's actually okay. in the plasma itself. So it's free. You know, it's free, to, it's free to roam. I'm, right? I'm curious, like numerically, like what kind of atmosphere, what what PSI do you consider hyperbaric? Yeah. And then what percentage of the oxygen? I mean, so we, we said that 21% is typically yeah. available atmospheric oxygen. So uh -huh. what is, you know, what is high oxygen or is it? Anything more than that okay. is increased atmospheric pressure, right? So if right. you go to the Dead Sea, for example, right. you're actually in a living, breathing hyperbaric chamber right. to a mild degree because the, the Dead how, Sea— Yeah, how far under under? It's about 1,000 meters okay. below sea. Okay. So the, And they've actually had—there's a, a whole website dedicated to all the, the physiologically beneficial things that happen when you're at yeah. the Dead Sea. Right. Part of it may be re related to the mud, and yeah. I don't know if you've been there before. You're supposed to, like— lather yourself in the dead sea mud right so it's a super hyper salt uh, salty yeah the, the water is really salty yeah. you float in the water it's like being in like a bath it's kind of like being in a float pod epsom if, salt path yeah, yeah, yeah if yeah. you've ever been a float pod like one of the uh yeah, yeah, the sensory yeah. deprivation chambers yeah but so the mud is probably more you know it's got more like electric polarity and all these other right. things but you also have more pressure there right so as soon as you decrease your altitude basically right. you start getting pressurized to a mild degree right right but then if you also now increase the amount of oxygen that you're breathing in through your lungs 
because that's how hyperbaric therapy works. Right. It actually doesn't it doesn't go in through your skin. Right. It goes in as you take a deep breath in, that air being more oxygenated already, and now with the pressure combined allows more oxygen like to drive. Like a liquid diffusion versus yes. like a hemoglobin pickup. Right, so not okay. hemoglobin, right? right. So we're, we're not talking about the red blood cells have four hemoglobin molecules. Typically, when somebody has a normal day's work, normal, normal day's activity, they only... They have four cell sites, right? right? Maybe two of those sites might come off, but they, there's actually always a couple in reserve. That's for high performance kinds of things. If you have to run it, run away from the lion. Right. If you have to, uh, if you do cardio at the gym, you have more reserve. So you have that oxygen carrying capacity mm -hmm. that's in reserve. And so going back to your question, if you're in a chamber, for example, and this is something that I've always been intrigued about is, but I haven't had anybody try me out yet. So if one of your listeners has any interest, let, you know, have them contact me. Um, got some is, pretty crazy biohackers. Yeah. So this is, if you're a <laughs> yeah. bicycler, if you're an endurance racer, if you're doing something that requires lots of aerobic respiration, yeah. if you put yourself in a chamber, in a hyperbaric chamber, and there's different types and we can talk about those, but the ones that are more portable, for example, and you hyperoxygenate yourself. So you say you're, if you hyperoxygenate in a soft chamber, which goes to about 1.3 atmospheres. Okay. If you have 100% oxygen, if you have like a nasal cannula and you're getting oxygen that way, that's going to increase the amount of oxygen in circulation by about 600%. So you're going to have that capacity for about an hour and a half after you get out the chamber. So for example, you're in the chamber, you're getting all that oxygen. Awesome. Right. You get out of the chamber and then you have a period of time where that takes about an hour to an hour and a half for all that oxygen to get out of your system, blow it out of CO2, right? right. Use it. So within that time frame, you have the potential where you could have increased oxygen carrying capacity. So hypothetically, it could be a legal way to increase your performance right. for a short task like I'm this. I'm curious, like, I don't think this is WADA regulated. Not that I'm aware of, no. no. I mean, one, it's hard to detect, unless you're oxygen. really like, yeah, oxygen yeah. is, you know, just this, like a new, like a new macronutrient or something. Yeah, so like, you know, you've heard of a pulse ox before. So a right. pulse ox is something you could put on your finger right. to test how much oxygen you have. Right. Hyperbaric therapy is not going to change that huh. because all that is doing measuring is measuring hemoglobin oxygen saturation. So it's not measuring how much arterial oxygen saturation, Interesting. Got, which is what we're doing in the chamber. So there's various levels of hyperbaric therapy right. to get to that. So there's, and depending on what level of therapy that you need, that you require, right. depending on what your conditions are, your yeah. indications for using it, there's different types of chambers. Yeah, I want to dive into that, but I'm also just curious from your, of your own personal story. So yeah. in the shock trauma center, you started looking and, and observing that this interesting technology uh, was having um, interesting you know, effects on a multiple multiple number of indications. Mm -hmm. How did it become uh, your area of expertise? Like what was the transition there? Yeah, it's, it, so it starts probably earlier than that. I okay. mean, I grew up pretty alternatively. Okay. My dad's a chiropractor okay. and I grew up in New York and it was, it was a functional medicine practice for all intensive purposes okay. before we knew what functional medicine was or okay. integrative medicine was because yeah. chiropractors are really what I would call the original functional medicine docs. They didn't look at things just like you have a blood pressure problem, here's a pill. Right. You have a back problem, here's a medication for pain. Right. It was about a whole picture. Yeah. When I went to medical school, it was under the thought, under the guise of how can I bridge all of this together? Right. Because I felt like he was limited as to right. what he could do. And I also felt that con conventional medicine was, you know, vastly limited as well. Right. So conventional medicine is really good at acute care. Right. It's really good at making sure people don't die. Yeah. Everything else is not all that good at. Yeah. But I wanted to learn it because I wanted to understand uh, how you could bridge the gap. And I think I mentioned that earlier. How yeah. can you bridge the gap between alternative functional medicine with conventional? Right. And I realized because hyperbaric medicine was, there was two things about it that I really liked. One of them was how simple the, the physiology was, just right. oxygen and pressure. Right. I'm not a very complex guy, right? I was like, What's, this is simple. And it's being vastly underutilized. As I did more research on it, I realized how much this could potentially help with. Right. In other countries like uh, Japan and China and Russia, there's 80 different things that are actually approved for use and covered by medical insurance. Hmm. And that kind of tipped my head. My, I was like, well, wow. I mean, in the US, it's only 14, okay? okay? 14 different indications. But as a result of that being something that's conventionally condoned for right. 14 different things, then those 14 different things I can learn a lot about. Right. And then there's about 50 to 100 different things 
outside of the the medical model, outside right. of the insurance coverage yeah. model, model that I can actually Reverse learn about, it, right. and I can really make a difference yeah. in actually becoming a becoming somebody who knew a lot about it, right. and then actually delivering this message to the world and say, "Hey, look, if you're a high performer." This is something that you could potentially use to help you recover right. or help you perform better or help you get better from an injury. Interesting. And, I mean, yeah. there's like no residency for mm -hmm. this kind of thing. So there's what a fellowship you... in hyperbaric medicine. Okay. So it's, it's, yeah. it's becoming more institutionalized. But it's very conventional fellowship, okay. right? So I said there was 14 different things. Right. The ones that are most commonly treated, carbon monoxide poisoning, okay. necrotizing fasciitis, yeah. those are the two in the hospital. Yeah. Also, uh, third-degree burns, so from a fire, for example. Yeah. In the outpatient setting, you have diabetic foot ulcers, so patients that have diabetes and have bad wounds on their feet, right. preventing amputations, right. uh, bone infections, so chronic bone infections, chronic or actually sudden hearing loss, so it's a bad condition. You wake up one day, you don't have hearing, okay. or your hearing goes down very, very, huh. very, very significantly. And hyperbaric therapy can actually reverse that. Um, there's also the last category, which is radiation injury from cancer. Okay. So those are the four that are yeah, most... I mean, it basically sounds like all the fundamental drivers there are just like some sort of, you're rescuing some sort of function. Like they're, you're, like these cells are starving of oxygen. It sounds like oxygen. Why they, That's why hyperbaric oxygen there can sort of rescue this function, right. right? And the key is it's, it's a two-pronged approach, right. Jeff. So it's not just about starving of oxygen. It's right. right. We can immediately, acutely, in one treatment, reverse that, right? right? get that oxygen to the cells that need it. Right. But in the long term, to maintain that effect, you have to recreate the scaffolding that may have been injured mm. or damaged right. in some capacity. Right. And that's what hyperbaric therapy does in like a protocol, for okay. example. So angiogenesis, making new blood vessels, stem cell release, repleting the scaffolding, the tissue with all the cells that it needs right. to be a healthy tissue again. But this is where the integrative approach really becomes important. And that's what I do. I don't just do hyperbaric medicine. Right. It's just, I'm not a one-trick pony. I, I like the therapy a lot. I yeah. feel like it's a good synergizer. But if you're not doing the work before, you're not doing the work after, it's just a less optimal outcome. Yeah. And what I focus on a lot, actually, is the, the nutritional part of things. It's, the, it's, dietary, it's dietary management. It's, mm. it's supplements. It's other allied therapies that might help, whether it could be something as simple as breathing and meditation, or it could be something as complex as neurofeedback and acupuncture and other crazy, crazy things. Yeah. You know, go to trips to the jungle or something, yeah. whatever. But it's a various, the approach depends on the person. But where I always start, I always start with the nutritional side of things because it's the simplest way to get people feeling better yep. quickly. And so one of the things that I've been focusing on a lot more as I've been doing more of this work is not just when somebody asks me, hey, Scott, can, we get, can I get in the chamber? I go, sure, why? And they tell me, well, I have, I, I want to perform better. Right. Okay. okay. And so, yeah, you can get in the chamber, but <clears throat> let's, let's optimize that, right? Let's see where you can release, where, where should you start here? Should you spend your time in the chamber now? Or should you wait until you look at your diet, maybe look at some, look at an optimal health kind of uh, program first? Right. Something like health optimization, which you've heard about in uh, in previous podcasts with my right. with my colleague Dr. Ted Achacoso. Right. Um or is it look at simple things like add ketones, like right. like you guys do, right? right? Because that's a very powerful way to really enhance uh, somebody's performance, especially in the chamber. Actually, right. interestingly enough, yeah, I, I, that's like what I was wanted to actually get into because I think, um, well, I mean, I think we can start with the therapeutic research in the area. So you're probably familiar with. Dr. Thomas Siegfried from Boston and his, his collaboration with Dom, uh, Dom D'Agostino. Yeah, yeah. uh, their pulse study that showed that hyperbaric oxygen therapy with a ketogenic diet was really interesting in terms of uh, cancer. Mm -hmm. um, curious to get your perspective and you, you can di dive into in, in the theories there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing to say is that cancer is a scary word. Yeah. And uh, it's a very complicated disease. It's a very complicated well. disease. Yeah. And uh, but for the most part, uh, Tom Seafried's book and Dom D'Agostino's research has been showing, as has others, that the ketogenic diet may be a strategy for some cancers. Some cancers. Probably yeah. not all cancers. Yeah, let's, I think there's, there. a, yeah, there's a good caveat yeah. there. Like, yes, yeah, some cancers, especially some brain cancers, really actually 
you know, take up ketones very quickly and well. Right. So you so, do not want to be doing a ketogenic diet or exogenous ketones if you have that type of cancer. Well, I mean, the thing is that there's some there's some uh, like brain cancers like glioblastoma, for right. example, that may do well on the ketogenic diet. Right. For right. Example. So it's like yeah, so it's yeah. A very specific. So like, it's very specific. It's, yeah. So I mean, when you're looking as a as a either a person with cancer or a family member that has one, my initial recommendation for patients is to either do the research they, themselves right. on their cancer if they can or find a doc and i have uh, some resources in that respect right. that has is some information as to understand this you know right. for example before we get into the, some of this just to give yeah. the caveats yeah. right i was talking to my colleague uh who's based up in oregon her name's dawn and uh she's an integrative oncologist and she was telling me about this one type of melanoma that's fat avid so you have to be careful there right, right. and that if you put them on a vegan diet their cancer can just go away. Right. And I was, so, but again, most cancers, it seems, are on this paradigm where the ketogenic diet very well might be a cancer regressive or a cancer static type of At least a nutritional phenomenon. adjunct that seems to work well. And yeah, exactly. And the theory exactly. there is that a lot of cancers are anaerobic, use glucose for energy. Right. And they cannot use ketones very well for energy. So if you can shift the, like the nutritional substrate available in the body, that's more ketone driven than glucose, that might be interesting. And right. then you add uh, a hyperbaric oxygen therapy, again, where if cancer cells are very anaerobically driven, yes, then it's yes. like an interesting like one-two punch right. from exactly. uh, oxygen therapy plus a keto ketogenic therapy. Yeah, so Dom's study was on mice, yeah. and they looked at the ketogenic diet by itself. Yeah. And they looked at hyperbaric therapy by itself on a model of brain cancer glioblastoma. Right. And they found that if they did the ketogenic diet on its own, it did have a cancer regressive effect, a mild one. Right. If they did hyperbaric therapy on the on its own, it did not have a regressive effect. It didn't have a pro-growth effect. Right. That's the other thing to mention about hyperbarics right there is that it doesn't have a pro-growth effect to cancer. It's been looked at in, in several reviews, last one I think in 2016. Okay. Hyperbaric therapy does not make cancer grow. Right. And there's there's some worry on the on the conventional side because it does have a blood vascular growth Stimulus that it could have a cancer growth stimulus, but blood vessels from cancer grow very differently. Huh, they okay. grow because of hypoxic stimulus most of the time. Interesting. Cancers most of the time uh, have very disorganized blood vasculature and a very hypoxic center or core, and that's where hyperbaric therapy potentially can help. Right. right. So in cancer, hyperbaric therapy can help in various ways. It can help with chemosensitization. So if you're on chemotherapy, it'll get the chemotherapy actually further into the cancer potentially. Radiation, same deal. If you have, radiation itself works with oxygen. So if you don't have oxygen in tissue, radiation won't work. Hmm. So the more oxygen you can flood into tissue, the more radiation will be effective. Okay. So you'll see in some brain cancers, uh, especially glioblastoma, they're looking at some studies where you actually hyperoxygenate in a chamber. Then after that, you go directly into the, the radiation suite and get radiation. Right. And so there's, there's those two ways. And as far as Dom's literature, to go back to that, I'm sorry I get sidetracked. No, no, um, I think it's good color. I mean, yeah, it, no, it, it, I mean, science is, or medicine is complicated. So I think it's complicated. It, it, I, think, but, I think, and I think our audience like appreciates the subtleties here. Yeah, yeah. So um, not black and white here, yeah. you know. So, um, but anyway, go back to Dom's study. He looked at the two ketones by itself, hyperbaric by itself, right. and then he combined it, and then the combination of a restricted keto diet plus uh, hyperbaric therapy. Uh, had an 85% reduction in the metastatic burden of cancer. Right. Then he did the same study looking at ketone esters, actually, uh, along with hyperbaric therapy as a way uh, for the ketone esters to help with not being restricted in your keto right. and had the same effect. Right. So that's really great, right? Yeah. Because we're looking in humans. We're not looking at mice. We don't have control of these people. Yeah. And that's been the biggest challenge is that I've had patients over the last several years, but the hardest part of this, Jeff, is getting people ketogenic. It's just hard. I, I, and maintaining it. Yeah. And so I've had some really great, great outcomes right. while people can stay ketogenic. Right. But the challenge is, I mean, we started this four years ago when yeah. there was no ketone products out there. Right. There is no ketogenic.com. There is nothing out there that could really point people in the direction. Right. And now that there's more out there, there's more products and... There's more I think research. Also more yeah. research. I think the yeah, data there's is, more research. I think the data is turning. Yeah, I was just yeah. listening to one of Dom's. Uh, he was. At, I was at a conference, a hyperbaric conference in New Orleans. Yeah. In was it? I don't even know. Maybe August. And he presented some literature about looking at some of this new work that he's doing. Right. Seeing that 
if you combine a ketone ester with an MCT, and those two combined were much more effective than a ketone ester by itself, mm. than, a, than a ketone salt by itself for cancer, right. right? So the question is, there's all these different products, and I know you guys have one on, right. on the ketone ester versus the ketone salt. Right. You know, what's the difference? Why should you be using one or the other? Yeah. And you guys will be doing a lot of great marketing to talk I about just, I think just education, because yeah. it's the first time there's a ketone ester that's commercially available. Yeah. Ketone yeah. esters, as you know, are just been, only been done and basically available for research. Yeah, and what's interesting, too, what I find super interesting is that I've had conversations with with Dom and others about, you know, what is the ketogenic diet even doing, right? right? Like, like how is it even working? And uh, the cool thing about it, the way I like to think about it, and I'm sure you guys have thought about this in various yeah, let's have a conversation about it. Yeah, is um, because this 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 comes back into hyperbaric therapy yeah. is that, like, you're three days without eating, right? Yeah, you're you're like you're hunting the buffalo or whatever you're hunting on the prairie, and you don't want to keel over and die. Yep, glucose is gone. You need to be able to convert yep. over your fat stores to ketones. Right. So you need to have more clarity. You also need to have more blood flow because if you have a wound or something, right. you want to be able to heal that enough yep. so you can get to that buffalo and yep. eat that buffalo before you die. Yep. And so Dom and others ha have done some preliminary work looking at... NRLP3, anti-inflammatory pathways. Totally anti-inflammatory yeah. pathways. Yeah. That's one of the ways. Um, but also that ketones actually, ketogenic diets increase blood flow, mm. right? So vascular flow. So they may be helping with wound healing at the same time. Right. So then I'm like, well, well, that's that's the business I'm in, man. Yeah. So if, if you're combining hyperbaric therapy with the ketogenic diet or right. ketone supplementation, as, as it were, in some capacity, like if it's for performance and not for cancer, right. um, you could potentially heal people faster, allow them to recover faster. Right. And we're seeing that, actually. So you see... Uh, for example, somebody on the chemotherapeutic perspective, right, if they're getting chemotherapy and they fast for a day, their side effects are less. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, number one, you're getting more chemo probably to the area that you need to. And number two, you're preventing oxidative stress, which right. happens, uh, which and, and the ketogenic diet is probably protecting for that. Yes. Right? And also the anti-inflammatory pathways that you're talking about. Right. Um, and then on, on the performance side, you're seeing people recover faster for the same reasons. Yeah. And also the increase in blood flow. Right. And so when I can throw somebody in a chamber, or actually place them gently, you know? <laughs> uh, then at the same time, we're hyper-oxygenating that blood. Right. So then you have the one-two of not only more blood flow, but you're having the increased oxygenation as well. So in patients with like traumatic brain injuries, we're seeing some significant benefits. Interesting, yep. Yeah, so a lot it, of interesting data on ketones with TBIs as well. Exactly. Yeah. So then if you combine that ketone yeah. with hyperbaric therapy, and I'm doing that, I'm yeah. doing that. So I don't have any studies yet, but I've had patients that on the acute concussion side, especially, uh, where we've seen some dramatic improvements very, very fast. Interesting. And then what are you tracking this by subjective effects or biomarker effects? We've been looking into the biomarker data and and our understanding is that you know some of the leading research coming out of UCLA, it's been hard to find like a consistent biomarker that says, okay, you know, as you know, like yeah, it can, it's tough. It's tough to figure out. Okay, there's like some eye tracking software. I'm curious when you say you you you're rescuing people from concussions more quickly. Is it how how are you judging that? Yeah, I mean it's purely symptomatic right now. Okay. Yeah, and the challenge when you when you treat anybody on acute an acute perspective, you don't know who's going to get better right. and who's not going to get better right. and how fast they're going to get better and right. how slow. Yeah. So that's the argument a lot of times, right? Well, they're going to get better anyway. Yeah, whatever, right? You know, you just give them ketones and they get better. <laughs> but you just don't know because there's a subsegment of the population that's going to have post-concussive syndrome, yeah. which is concussion symptoms that last greater than three months. Yeah. And if it lasts greater than a year or so, they're not getting better. Yeah. Those are going to last for the rest of their life. Yeah. And there's more and more work that's been done. Even if one concussion happens, you can have long-term problems from that. Yeah, I mean, I think you see the NFL data coming out with like the donated brains, the science, like 99% of CTE. I mean, that's frightening. Yeah, there was. I was just reading today that there was the first documented case of living diagnosis of CTE. Jeez. And somebody that had a scan before they died and then had a scan after or had the actually the injury. Yeah, yeah. So had the scan of the brain before they yeah. died and then they died and then they looked at the brain afterwards yeah, and they mean, corresponded to two places yeah i mean i think i mean I, I mean this is a little bit off topic but i you know, it seems that you know some of these sports will have to change i don't i just don't see how it, it, you know like gladiators seem very barbaric i'm just wondering if in a hundred years we look upon some of the sports that we all you know watch and love as somewhat barbaric 
I, I mean, it's, it's an open I, question. I, I'm with you, man. I mean, it, but it's, the challenge is it's not just football. Right? Yeah, it's, no, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's soccer. Boxing. It's, it's, I'm a boxing's uh, like... Mememet, UFC. Yeah, you know. I mean, that's, 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 that stuff's crazy. Yeah. Right? I mean, to go through that knowing what you know now, knowing what we know now, yeah, it's it seems crazy. Yeah. I, but, but I mean, at the same time, I, I get it. I understand why people love watching football and, and, and there's tons of skill involved and there's all that. But I, I do have the same... I have the same and sim- similar feeling to you. Just like, I mean, just like the years of age, right? Back in Roman times when we were watching gladiators kill each other. I mean, that's right? probably I mean, would be, inter- I mean, again, like uh, morality aside, that would be pretty fucking awesome to watch. Like, okay, we're going to watch like a battlefield, like happening I mean, life. It's, it's, it plays into our base yeah. instincts as people. And I hope over time, and the idea is to get to a larger or a higher level or just a different level of consciousness yeah. where we all want to help and love each other and all that kind of stuff. But I think at least but, a minimum, I think like techniques like hyperbaric therapy at least would prevent or hopefully stem some of the damage. Long-term. That's the thing, right? That's and the hope. That's least. the hope. The hope yeah. is that um, if you continue to batter yourself, nothing's going to help you in the long term, right. probably. Right. But if you're getting, if you get these, if these things happen to you, right. you can potentially mitigate the damage right. and help hopefully heal that injury faster right. and more efficiently. Yeah. And so, I mean, it depends. I mean, it depends on how severe the injury is. And when the injury happened, I've had patients with like like veterans, for example, right? right? So somebody that had a injury back in Vietnam, right? Terrible PTSD, traumatic brain injury, mostly PTSD, because you know, I'm not sure if you do, but there's a lot of data out there that PTSD, like two thirds of the time, is jack is actually just undiagnosed brain injury. Yeah. So this one guy I treated, I think maybe three or four years ago, nightmares, personality problems from Vietnam, every night nightmares, divorced, abusive. He woke up after his 20th hyperbaric session and his nightmares never came back. Wow. Just gone. Yeah. And I've had experiences like that even many years later. Right. And so, I mean, there is a lot of potential to heal, even if it's been a long time. Yeah. But obviously, the time is brain, as we say in conventional speak. Yeah. Time is heart. If it's yeah. a heart attack, the quicker you get therapy and the, the faster you can reoxygenate and reawaken or re-stimulate some of that area that may have been Makes injured. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. The way I like to think about it is it, if there's a lot of, if you think of like a, a still lake, no water moving early in the morning, you know, when you're going to go fishing or something, right. and you throw a rock into it, the rock is the area of impact. Yep. If you have an impact from an injury like a concussion or even worse if it's a stroke. Yeah. But you have all the ripples outside of that. Right. And that's called the peri, uh, peri-ischemic area if it's, a, if it's a stroke. So the area that's getting less oxygen but not right. dead, right. right? And then that's where hyperbaric therapy can potentially get into that tissue, prevent it from dying, right. and re- and allow it to continue to be vital. Yeah, now, I think not, it's an important yeah. distinction, right? Yeah. There, there are just dead neurons. I don't think anyone's claiming that you're going to no, rescue them. Like if you get dead. punched in that area, that, I mean, you're not rescuing those cells, yeah, but, but, the, but the surrounding tissue, you can rescue. Yeah, but the brain's neuroplastic. The brain, the brain has a way of... We, plasticity is the idea of using the neurons that you do have right. and allowing them to do different things, right. reorganized and into different capacities, right. synaptogenesis in various different yeah. ways to different neurons and allow those things to happen. And we yeah. actually have studies now in the hyperbaric field showing that the brain can do that. Neuroplasticity. Interesting. Yeah, so neuroplasticity. Have, has there been studies showing you know how it correlates to BDNF, like uh, basically... You know, neuropeptides that in, like from the nootropic side increase neurogenesis, increase synaptogenesis. Is so that an open, open area of research? It's a really an open area of research on the BDNF side okay. and like and, and, and NRLP and those. Yeah. Um, the ones that we have been looking at, something called HIF, which is hypoxic inducible factor. Okay. And that's uh, an interesting one because you think you wouldn't think that in a chamber you'd be stimulating something called hypoxic inducible factor. Yeah. But what happens is when you go into the chamber, when you're 100% oxygen, like yeah. we talked about, you get 600% more oxygen to 1,200% more right. oxygen. Then you come so out inner of the cha- uh, uh, inner chamber. Is this 1.3? Like, oh, yeah. So yeah, we yeah. can go into that. Yeah, oh, I'm just so, actually curious. Yeah, like what, yeah. What, what, what are the ranges you play with? Yes. So the ranges depend. Yeah. But they can go anywhere between 1.3 to 7 atmospheres of oh, wow. pressure, depending on what the indication is. Okay, okay. But for the most part, it's 1.3 to 2.4. Is it uncomfortable if you're under seven atmospheres? So the reason why you'd go there is if you're a saturation diver, if you're okay. building a bridge or building a tunnel, okay, or if you're a deep sea diver on yeah. oil rigs or something like that. So for most of us, the therapeutic pressures are between 1.3 and 2.4, okay. maybe 2.8 at okay. the most. And that equates to about, 
15 feet of seawater okay. uh, to about 45 feet of seawater. Okay. So, and if I, you I scuba dive, then you kind of kind of can get a feel for that. Yeah, so scuba yeah. diving is a similar feel. So you get that same pressure sensation when you're on a plane right. or if you're underwater. Right. You're diving, you get that sensation of pressure in your ears. Right. Same thing you, you get in the chamber. Okay. The idea is that water is really heavy. We just don't feel it because we're weightless in, in it. Right. But if you pick up a, a bucket of water, it's extremely heavy. Yeah. So even if you're 45 feet under the sea or in a pool, for example, a very deep pool, then all that water is exerting a pressure on you. Yep. And that's the pressure that we're simulating in the chamber. Yep. And depending on the indication, depending on what's happening, the, cha- the, the pressure will be different. The pressure should be different. Yep. So uh, neurocognitive, so brain-related pressures, are somewhere between 1.3 and 2.0. Okay. And then outside of the brain and central nervous system, we're talking about 2.0 to 2.4 typically. Mm. Uh, but there's a lot of variation, and it really depends on what's what the goals are, how acute the injury right. is, those kinds of things. Interesting. And there's there's three different types of chambers. There's a, something called a multi-place chamber. That's what you find in hospitals, and you find in diving places like the Channel Islands or if you go to the Great Barrier Reef. Right. Those are the ones that go to really deep pressures. Right. Because if you get a a decompression illness at seven atmospheres it's seven times 33 you can do the math that's pretty pretty deep yeah if you get you want it you have to go back down to that pressure to repressurize to be able to heal from that injury okay so that's why they go so deep yeah they're usually multi-place in the sense that you can treat multiple people at the same time okay that's that's a hard hard uh steel chamber and then you have the monoplace chambers, which are single occupancy hard chambers that usually go between 1.3, 1.5 atmospheres to two attack to three atmospheres of pressure. Okay. And those can be used in the outpatient setting, um, but they're medical grade, so they can only be used under the right supervision. And what I mean by that is you have to have technicians that are trained, you have to have doctors okay. in, in a facility. And I have a facility that's open, just opening in San Francisco. Cool. And uh, it's just uh, under visit area. So you here. can't, like, as a consumer, be like, hey, I'm going to order medical-grade equipment. Right, right. So, okay. But you can go to a facility that has these, yeah. which, which I operate yeah. here in San Francisco and New York and other places. Yeah. They're, they're all over the country. Yeah. Um, but they're mostly in the outpatient arena. Right. And they can be used between 1.3 and 2.0. Uh, sorry, and 3.0. And those are used for any number of the indications that are more... Uh, they're less serious, let's say. Right. So that, uh, I mean, you can treat them. They can be used in the hospital. Sometimes they are. Uh, but for the most part, they're used on the outpatient side. And then the third type of chamber is what's called the soft bag inflatable hyperbaric chamber. And these are more consumer focused. They can be used in your home. Yeah. Uh, but I would also, they still require a medical prescription to actually receive one. So because whenever whenever you compress oxygen, even if it's just compressing the air that we're breathing, it's classified as a drug. Okay, unfortunately so as a result of that it does require a prescription interesting yes but you can get a chamber for your house and you can use it uh for some of this sort of performance stuff neurocognitive stuff right but i always recommend if you're going to do it you understand why you're doing it and you understand some of the some of the risks associated with it yeah let's talk about the risk actually yeah. i was i was actually going to wonder about like the notion of oxygen toxicity right can you have too yeah. much of a good thing i mean i think some of the research with Navy SEAL divers, you know, if you're under intense high levels of pressure, you yeah, suck up oxygen, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can have too much of a good thing. So yeah. what's the difference and what's the risks there? Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned that. That's how Dom Diagostino got his start, yeah, yeah. looking at the Office of Naval Research, yeah. understanding that if you were ketogenic at three atmospheres, it prevented oxygen toxicity. Yeah, I think I think yeah. the result on like rats, like they were able to stay six times longer or something. Without a seizure. On, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah. So that's uh, oxygen toxicity is something to to consider. Yeah. The most significant risk of oxygen toxicity is continuous oxygen exposure. So, uh, for example, yeah, it's a very reactive element, right? Yeah, like but that's yeah. it's just floating around. Well, that's like, how it works, right? Yeah. It works. It works by generating oxygen radicals and creating ATP. Redox reaction. Yeah, yeah. redox. Yeah. Exactly. So we have to understand that. And that's actually how, like if you want to take a really high level, yeah. that's how hyperbaric therapy is working at all capacities. Right. It's working as an epigenetic oxidative stress. Yeah. Unless it's working to acutely hyperoxygenate tissue. Otherwise, it's working as an oxidative stress. The body is used to oxidative stress. It needs oxidative yep. stress. And it ha- what happens is the body has a production of antioxidant response. When you're ketogenic and you have cancer, for example, though, cancer molecules, cancer cells are not as good at producing their own antioxidants. That's another reason why hyperbaric therapy is so potentially effective in cancer 
that's in combination with the ketogenic diet because right. it's causing more oxidative stress right. on the cancer cells while the ketogenic diet or the ketone supplements are protect, pr protecting, protecting the, the cells, cells. Yep. Yeah, from oxidative yep. stress. So, but oxygen toxicity, if it's an intermittent exposure at, at the pressures we typically treat at, which is 1.3 to 2.4, is very rare unless you have an underlying problem. And that would be anything like if you have a seizure disorder at baseline and it's not controlled, hyperbaric therapy may decrease your set threshold for having a seizure. Mm -hmm. But I've also seen people that have seizure disorders that are well controlled be better controlled after going through a hyperbaric protocol. Right. So um, it's something that we have to consider. Right. Um, but at very deep pressures at 2.4 to 3, you do have a risk of oxygen toxicity that can cause seizures on its own if somebody doesn't even have a seizure disorder. Right. But we have lots of ways of mitigating that. Okay. And there's, it depends on the person. I mean, that's why I'm an integrative guy. So right. it's not just about how does hyperbaric therapy help this person, but how can we optimize yep. and protect? Yep. So if they have a lot of you know, inflammation going on or oxidative stress, you may want to give them antioxidants before they start. Right. I mean, optimally, optimally, you want to look at a whole nutritional panel beforehand. Right. The whole health optimization medicine framework that you right. heard from Ted, which I'm also affiliated with and a yeah. part of, you want to look at their metabolomic and testing. You want to look at how their cells are functioning. Right. You want to look at their gut. You want to look at their hormones. You want to look at their allergies, and you want to do all that right. if you can. Yep. Because that way, you know what their baseline is. You can replete. You can optimize. You can balance. Right. And then you can go, okay, here's the next level. Right. Let's really optimize you right. for what you're looking to do revascularize you all that but so from an oxygen toxicity perspective you're looking at oxygen induced seizures and that's very rare uh it's never been described at 1.3 in the soft chambers for example even at 1.5 never been described in somebody that doesn't have an underlying seizure disorder so that's why if you're getting a medical grade treatment it's more important that we have all these things at a facility. And, and you're, you have a doctor monitoring you. You have somebody yeah. like me hanging out. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Making sure that you're okay. Yeah. Um, but we have ways of mitigating. I've only had two seizures in the whole time I've been practicing. And so it, it's very rare. Okay. The other thing you have to worry about is pulmonary toxicity, lung toxicity. And that can only happen really in patients that have underlying lung disease, hmm. like COPD, for example. I see. Uh, from smoking. Uh, so they have emphysema. Yeah. Uh, they have other respiratory issues. If you have asthma, it's okay as long as your asthma is under control. Mm. If it's severe asthma, we have to be careful because you can have air trapping. Mm. But again, this is, this is, I think, a good reason why hyperbaric therapy is requ it's required to get a prescription. Yeah. Right? It doesn't take much. It's a pretty simple. I do this mostly on a telemedicine basis, for example. Yeah. Like, I don't have to see patients in person. I'm just like, okay, here's, here's my list of stuff. And if you're good, you're good to go. If there's right. any problems or questions or issues or complexity, then yeah, then I'll have to see you in person. Right. Or I, if you're not in a state I'm licensed in, then I can have you see one of my colleagues across the country. And then you can just call up and get your chamber if, if you want to get a, a chamber for your house. Right. Or you can go to one of the facilities that has the medical grade. I typically recommend medical grade, if at all possible, in the beginning for you to understand how this is going to affect you in the long term. Makes sense. Um, yeah. If you're going to do it home, I, I recommend you, you speak to a doctor. Well, it's also you, expensive, right? Like it yeah. makes sense if you're going to try this for your own personal use, like do it with a professional a couple of times before you, you know, it's yeah. like, what, 15K or something to get one in your house. So yeah, I think the the ones that are the going rate for like ones that extremely small, like a coffin size yeah. is like 12K. Yeah. And if you want to get a nicer one, it's around 20 yeah. right yeah. now. And the medical grades, grade ones are more expensive, yeah. but you can pay per session. So it's not going to be as expensive. Right. And... It depends on where you are in the country. In, in, in San Francisco, it's going to be more expensive than it's going to be in Idaho, for example. Right. Uh, everything's more expensive in San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. right? Or New York, for example. Yeah. But, um, but I think that the protocol also depends. I, that's, that's something I, I should point out, right? So hyperbaric therapy is not just a one-time treatment. Right. It's a protocol of, of treatment because, like I was mentioning before, we're acutely oxygenating. Then we're creating all this scaffolding to maintain that new ability to uh, utilize oxygen better. Right. And so to do that, it depends on how, the, uh, basically the chronicity of the injury. So if it's an acute injury, three to five sessions, most people have gotten that exaggerated hyper response, healing wounds faster. Mm. Uh, we've se I've seen anywhere in my own practice, 30 to 70% faster healing wounds from in injuries, yeah. no matter how severe they are. And that's pretty impressive. Right. Uh, but uh, if it's been a wound that's been going on for a long time, if it's an injury in the brain 
or if it's a chronic degenerative like autoimmune condition, if it's something with a, lo a lot of inflammation that's been happening for a long period of time, it takes a longer protocol. It can take anywhere between 20, 40, even, even longer. Yeah. And those sessions are done successively, Monday right. through Friday with oh, the weekends wow. off. Yeah, so it's intense. And that's why sometimes- How long are you in this chamber for? It depends on the protocol, but okay. anywhere between 60 and 90 minutes. Wow. Yeah, so- People are like reading a book in there, just meditating, taking a nap? Depends on the chamber. So <laughs> uh, in the hard chambers, we don't allow anything in there okay. because it is a flammable place, that's right, right, right? Because you have high oxygen. So yeah. we typically have movies outside of the chamber, right? You okay. can watch TV, Netflix, you can What meditate. is the percentage oxygen that you're typically, what, what are the ranges you play around with? It's usually 100% oxygen. Okay. Yeah, so- so, uh, yeah, so quite flammable. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, I mean, it is, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's very safe. Yeah. I mean, it, there's there's been a couple accidents over the years, but yeah. it's been very, very negligent care. Right. So always when you're going to a facility, it's important. If you're going to go to like a hard chamber hyperbaric facility and you want therapy, they should be number one, writing your prescription. Right. And number two, putting you in cotton scrubs. Yeah. So you should not be going in your own clothes. No side electricity, nothing like you that. You got it. Yeah. Right. And you shouldn't be bringing anything in there. Right. Now, the soft chamber is there's less oxygen, less pressure. You do have to be more careful about what you bring in there. Right. But it's not as as strict because right. you don't have as much. So the, the soft chambers you can get with or without an oxygen concentrator. And again, if you're gonna do this, I really recommend talking to a doctor. Yeah. Because number one, like you said, it's expensive. But I think even before that, like you should know what you're doing and why. Yeah. And understand the protocol that you're looking to do right. and understand how you can do the best for you. Yeah. I know I get the sort of biohacker idea, like I don't care, I'm gonna do it. and. I'm a hacker. I'm just gonna try it. Yeah. I'm n equals one. That's great, man. But like, I but know. even I think for the even the most adventurous biohackers, like you should understand the space that you're exploring, right? Yes. Like that's um, like talking to folks like yourself. I think would be interesting. I think it's like a good gateway drug, if you will, to be like, okay, yeah. There's yeah. some areas of expertise that I clearly don't know, and like I should understand before you know venturing deeper. A hundred percent. And uh, there's a lot that I don't know for sure. Right. We're learning all the time about what hyperbaric therapy can do. Right. But I always go back that what I think this therapy really is is a synergizer. Yeah. It's usually not a standalone therapy. Although they're doing some work in Israel, for example, as an anti-aging technology. Mm. Because we do know that what, you, what can happen if you've done 20 to 40 sessions, you're actually improving oxygen utilization in the long term. Yeah. That's cool. And one of the reasons that you're- Well, one point you mentioned yeah. is that uh, increasing stem cell growth, yeah. which I think is, is, is super interesting. So what, what do you think are the mechanisms behind increasing stem cell? It's oxidative stress, actually, on the bone marrow itself. Huh. Causing, so not that we're making more stem cells. Uh, we're not making more in the chamber. Okay. We're releasing more from the bone marrow. Okay. So as a result of there being more in circulation, then as a result of that, you have more of the effect of them honing to areas of injury. And then what hyperbaric therapy also does is activate them. Yeah. And so it's been combined now with PRP, for example. Okay. So if you, or stem cell harvesting, right? right. So if you're gonna go get a stem cell treatment and you go into a chamber beforehand, you can hypothetically have a higher stem cell harvest as a result of that, especially if it's blood derived or bone derived. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, it depends on the kinds of stem cells that you're talking about, it depends on where you're getting them injected and things like that. Yeah. But so for example, even in the conventional space, like for people that are getting bone marrow transplants, if you harvest after two to three hyperbaric sessions, the number of the yield is better, much exponential, better. exponential. And so I have friends who are trying to basically storing their own stem cells with bone marrow extractions. I and mean, it sounds terrible. Yeah. It sounds yeah. super painful. I mean, it's literally like in your hip bone. Yeah. It's crazy biohacker stuff, but uh, but it makes a lot of but sense. But you, you should go see you first right. and get a lot more stem Before cells they, for the buck. Yeah. Exactly. If they're going to do that, they should go in the chamber first. Interesting. It only takes two or three dives to really see that difference. Interesting. Even after one, we've seen that dramatic increase, and that's all related to oxidative stress on the bone marrow cells themselves. Interesting. Causing the 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 blat the uh, these the the, um, the stem cells to be released. Interesting. And so, and we know that stem cells have a really good way of honing to areas of injury and inflammation. Right. And so. We do think that's one of the reasons hyperbaric therapy can be so effective. Right. And <clears throat> we're using it, like I said, with PRP, for example. And so PRP is more of a local treatment. Right. And then you allow the stem cells to be released from the bone marrow, activate them with the chamber as well. And then you have the stem cells plus the PRP now with all the growth factors yeah. and everything into the elbow or you know, wherever else. Yeah. And so it's, it's a pretty cool field. It's a pretty cool idea that it can be a, 
a significant part of a regenerative medicine. I mean, I like how you frame it. Like, I think it's a good synergizer, right? Like, yeah. I think that's what almost, I think more, I, I think care should be thought in that way. Like, there's, I don't think, I think more and more people realize, and I think more and more doctors realize, like, there's no single magic bullet. There's, like, no magic drug that does everything that you want. The body's a network, man. Yeah. I mean, if you're, and you have to remember that. I mean, when you see studies that say this pill is going to do that, or that this substance in this broccoli yeah. was going to give you this. Yeah. That's great. But but that's that's not the whole story. Right. That's just one part of the story. Yeah. And that's why I'm so emphatic on my my drive to frame it to patients when they talk to me. They're like, hey, hey Scott, I really want to get in the chamber. <laughs> I really want to get better from my injury, right. my fill in the blank. I'm like, that's great. But this is just a synergizer. Yep. Unless you just had a acute concussion, unless you just had plastic surgery and you want raccoon eyes right. for half the amount of time, yeah. unless you just had something acute happen, get get in the chamber. Right. But if this is something, this is a long term strategy for you, optimize your hormones, optimize your nutrition, look at supplementation, look at other therapies that might be helping you in the long term, yep. and then think of hyperbaric therapy as that synergistic optimizer yeah. that takes you from level N to level Z, right? right? Or maybe someplace in between, and then there's other therapies that you throw on top of there. Like, I don't, I don't, there's so many. Like, you can think of neurofeedback, or right. you can think of cranial sacral work, or osteopathic chiropractic work, like right. my dad does. I mean, there's all there's acupuncture, there's meditation, there's breathe. I mean, there's so many things. You have to meet people where they are. Yeah, I think your community is super awesome in the sense that the people are willing to try behavior related stuff, dietary related stuff. Right. But most of the time, the most people that I see, man, they just like... They want the magic pill. They want the pill, right? <laughs> and I'm like, all right. All right. And yeah. so that's why with Dr. Ted and I and, and this health optimization yeah. framework, we're trying to meet people at that level if that's yeah. where they want to start. Probably it's education as well. You're bringing them, bringing them up to more enlightened Yeah, view, bring right? them in. I mean, yeah. if you can bring them in, if you start making people feel better, right. it's that cornerstone habit yeah. idea. Are you familiar with that one? Yes, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you have one good habit, it Even cascades more. across your life. It's the cascade, yeah. and that's what we're looking for. And so that's, I think that's what we're all looking yeah. for in our drives. And it, with human and with what I do and with, with Ted and just with the hyperbaric work that yeah. I do is how can you make people feel better yeah. a little bit and then add the, on top of that, and then, then it's just a stimulus to yeah. change everything. And, and that's how you change, uh, as corny as it sounds, the world, because if people can feel better, then everybody's happier, they have better connections, they have better relationships, they, they just, they move better. They breathe better. I mean, I have one guy that I refer to down in, in Santa Cruz and he's just a movement guy. He just makes people move better. Yeah. And like, every, that's all he needs to do. And then everybody's like, wow, I'm moving so much better. What can I do? And <laughs> then he refers them to me and then yeah. I refer them to these things and that, right. and then I refer them to other supplements. Right. And, and then it's just like, no matter where you go or where, you, where you're starting, it's right. like, it's about being in this, in this ecosystem where you can deliver uh, people to this world. Yeah. And we're not, all we're doing is it's inception, man. It's yeah. that the idea has to come from them. Uh, and and I think a part of that, a lot of that is education. Right. It's, and it's like, I want this pill. I'm like, okay, you want that pill, sure. But, but let's also explain the drive and how this works and what other things you could do to accomplish those same goals. Exactly. And yeah. so my business is in the business of inception. It's, and that's a tough business to be No, but in. I, think, I think that's smart. I feel like the more and more successful doctors and, and, and really medical thought leaders realize that the paradigm is shifting from like this, hey, I, I, like, you know, I, I think the status quo of like the monolithic medical infrastructure telling you to do X, Y, Z and your metrics are fine by mm -hmm. is changing to more of a, a coach, a partner and, and optimizing oneself for their own goals. That's, that's how I grew up, Jeff. Like yeah. my dad, that's what he did. <laughs> and so it's, it's cool to see it come back that yeah. way. And I think, and I don't want to disregard the conventional space. I think yeah. it's, I think it does a really good job on acute care and traumatic care, like that shock trauma yeah. place. Their ability to save people's lives is ridiculously yeah, amazing. Western medicine works. It's amazing. Yeah. But if you have time, you should not, do conventional medicine if you yeah. can if you if there's time yeah. if you have the ability to do even both at the same time if right. you're just like doing a wellness approach you're doing a conventional approach and I'm actually talking to doctors about this too I'm like look I'm not saying what you do is wrong I think we need nephrologists I right. need somebody helping with kidney yes. function but if you could also add this to your practice what if you did health optimization at the right. same time expand the scope right I think medicine right. is defined by 
treatment, right. diagnosis, prevention of disease, which is a, in terms of you know, human spectrum performance is a, a small band, right? Everything yeah. beyond. And doctors want to defer, diversify too. I yeah. mean, I think you hear, I hear studies all the time or just these metrics or surveys talking about just the discontent in the conventional space. Yeah. 80% of docs, I mean, something ridiculous like that, I don't want to quote exactly, like are looking for something else to do hmm. because they're just fed up with the system. Yeah. They're owned by a hospital, right? They don't have autonomy anymore. Right. Um, not to say they want to be crazy like me and work with hyperbaric chambers right. and know about ketone supplementation and right. blood flow, but they want to know what else they can do yeah. to really get back to the basics of why they just started, why they wanted to be doctors in the first place. Yeah, no, I think that's yeah. a good point. I feel that, like sometimes yeah. when you go through like the medical system, you kind of get like the like the passion beaten out of you. You're yeah. end up turning like a... I mean, a, a hospital system looks like look, looks at you as, a, as an asset to generate prescriptions and churn through patients, which yeah. I, I, it's, it's an incentive, perhaps, issue rather than I think I think people go into medicine for very good reasons. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. And I think when I talk to medical school, medical students now, I usually have the same conversation. Yeah. And it was easier for me to have it with myself because yeah. where I my background. Right. I got tantalizingly close to things like orthopedic surgery and right. dermatology and radiology because <laughs> and i have great friends in all of these fields and right. i don't want to denigrate that right and they're all great people i, re, I they're great right. colleagues but for me it was about asking the question if i had all the money in the world if i had a billion dollars what kind of doctor would i want to be yeah because did i really go to medical school and do all these years of training just to get a paycheck that paid me x amount more money per month per visit right it just didn't make any sense to me. Right. And so my journey, uh, I think, is very instructive uh, for others that are getting lost in that process. And so I, tr I try, and that's one of the reasons why it's nice. I, I don't, I've actually, I haven't mentioned this on a podcast before, but it's really like deep in my soul that I feel very strongly. I mean, that, that extends to anything, right? It's not just about being a doctor. It's about whatever it is. You should follow your passion. Right be passionate about what you do right. no matter how much money because if you are passionate about something i truly believe that the money will come right you create value you create value value. Comes back to you. Yeah, yeah that's it's a tony robbins thing yeah. it's a personal development thing yeah. but i mean there's a lot of truth in that yeah i mean it comes from a deeper level like inside it doesn't yeah. come from this sort of the external gratification material yeah. world and so especially when you're in the throes of medical student, medical school and like you're on your boards and you're yeah, like you're, taking you're grinding oh, away it's a grind man yeah like, ooh, orthopedic surgery sounds yeah. really nice right now. Oh, I can make I, like yeah. 700 grand a year. Yeah. But take a step back and think about it. If I had a billion dollars, what would I do? Right. And I think it's it's a very constructive process yeah. for all of us to go through. And that's what I, I did a couple times through yeah. medical school. I know that you have a hard stop here, and, and thanks for being generous with your time. But it would be remiss for me to not to ask about, we talked a lot about the therapeutic uh, medical approach. I'm curious from a biohacker perspective, you talked a little bit about enhancing perhaps for you know cycling or other aerobic activities. I'm just curious, you know, what are exciting, or I guess like you sort of brainstorm there. Like I think you yeah. can speculate, you know, what is interesting from a hyperbaric therapy for enhancement? Yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, quote unquote investigational in yeah. the sense that, uh, it's never going to be covered by insurance, but you're, I know your client, your, your guys don't care so much about that in the sense that you're looking to optimize, you're looking yeah. to enhance, you're looking for ways to stem off aging, depending yeah. on how old you are. Right. Uh, and that's the first thing to mention is that if you're about 50 years old and you do a, a regular conventional MRI scan of the brain, it's going to show something called microvascular ischemic changes mm. of the brain. And what happens over time is inflammation, poor diet, toxin exposure, all that stuff starts flicking off va vessels in your brain, blood vessels. So mm -hmm. they start dying. And then senile dementia is a product of that. So senile dementia is the dementia your grandparents had. They can't remember their keys. They can't remember what happened yesterday, yeah. but they can ha remember what happened 50 years ago when they were in the war or whatever. Yeah. So that's the, those blood vessels getting damaged over time. Right. And as a result of that brain, dish, brain tissue, uh, deteriorating over time, basically the hypo basically decreasing the amount of uh, brain tissue available. Right. So uh, we know that hyperbaric therapy creates new blood vessels, especially in areas where there's inflammation or where there's hypoxia, where there's low oxygen states. And so on the anti-aging side, I was mentioning this big, they're doing a big thing in Israel where they're doing like a whole battery of, of testing. You can call it biohacking if you want. All these metrics, 
brain scans, um, VO2 maxes, which are cardiac performance testing, and they're testing them again at treatment 40, and they're seeing massive increases in angiogenesis, in blood flow to the brain, in especially in an area called the hippocampus, right. which is the area of the brain that we have the most neuroplastic tissue where we're creating our memories. Memory formation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we know that it works in these people and the people that are looking from an anti-aging perspective. And there was a study done in college students looking at just five treatments in a hyperbaric chamber. It was a, hot, it was a hard hyperbaric chamber, so deeper pressure 2.0, which is about 33 feet of seawater equivalent. Just five treatments, Monday through Friday, one week, and they did an MRI scan with a functional component. So basically looking at metabol, uh, the met- metabolism of cells with, uh, with a, actually with a glucose tracer in this mm. case. And they noticed that after just five treatments, their brain enhanced in various locations, especially the frontal lobe, where we have all our executive functioning, the ability to, to hold things in our memory. So increased glucose metabolism in the front. In, yeah, in, in the frontal lobe, okay. and then also in the in the hippocampus. Interesting. So they, they did task, they did a bunch of objective tasking. So they did things that, imp- they, they looked at visual spatial memory, they looked at uh, social the short-term memory, looked at short-term to long-term memory storing, they looked at long-term to short-term Recall, so ROI, right? How right. quickly you can get memories from the long term to the, to the short term. All that got enhanced just with five treatments. Interesting. That was a short term effect, but could that be used if you're, you know, a coder or if you're somebody that wants to optimize your performance cognitively? Right. It's Absolutely. Big, there's a big meeting, big presentation, big pitch, big tests. I mean, have that's I used it? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, yeah. so and have I had people from a lot of these larger organizations? that I will not name, right. come and do these kinds of things? Absolutely, right? right? Because they know, because they do their own research and right. say, hey, Dr. Scott, I read this study about these guys in China. Can I right. try this? I'm like, yeah, you can try it. It's investigational. Right. It's not going to be covered by your insurance. You're healthy. There's no risks for you. Right, exactly. We do the whole thing. We yeah. make sure that they're healthy. Right. And you're going to see more companies doing this. Yeah. Because if you come in for five treatments for one week, you could potentially have these improvements that may last a couple weeks, right? Maybe a month, or just acutely. I mean, yeah, or just acutely, but just still benefit, right? Yeah, right. And the, but I've had these these crazy cases of these hyper responders too, where they come into the chamber for five or ten treatments and they're good for like six months. Yeah. And so I just don't know who those people are yet, right? And I want to know who those are because I want to study them. Yeah. I can just tell you on the complete opposite side. I have this eighty-nine-year-old lady that comes and sees me, and she's got like some mild dementia mild arthritis, but doing pretty well. Right. She comes in and gets three treatments, and then for six months, she's like flying. No pain, <laughs> cognitively amazing. She comes in every six months. I'm like, I want to study you. Right. So they're, they're, those are the outliers. Right. That's but some interesting genotype there. That's like, I want, know, yeah. what, what is that? Yeah. I don't know, yeah. but I want to know. Yeah. Uh, her epigenetics, I don't know. Because, yeah. I mean, this is all epigenetics when it comes down to it, right? right? So hyperbaric therapy is working on the epigenetic level, right. changing how DNA express proteins, up-regulating things that help with growth right. and decreasing inflammation, right. and then down-regulating things that are involved in apoptosis or programmed cell death right. and inflammation. So, And it's about manifesting that over the long term if you do a longer protocol. But over the short term, it's allowing the body to, to have this stimulus effect where you can actually enhance your effect over the short term. The cutoff for me is around 20 treatments or so. That's where I've seen longer-term improvements hmm. because there's been studies on angiogenesis for example which is the creation of new blood vessels right. maximizing around the treatment 20 mark right depending on the in, on the indication so enhancement absolutely cardiac and cardiovascular enhancement as well and we talked about the endurance piece as right. well so when you're talking about outside of the central nervous system though we're so the brain and spinal cord we're talking about things usually at deeper pressures right and even that brain enhancement study that i mentioned in china was also at a deeper pressure okay you can probably modulate that in, in, a, in, a, in a soft chamber if you do it more often, but that's something that, you know, that I'd recommend discussing right. a little bit to kind of maximize. Um, but you're going to see more people doing this. I'm, I'm already seeing it. I mean, in the Bay Area, it's a competitive environment. People are looking yep, for I mean, that. I know yeah. people in our community. I, 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 I've just met with a friend who, uh, who ran engineering for Box. His name is Thomas, and he has his own soft chamber. And he's like, you should come out and, and, and like just check it out. I mean, yeah, people are definitely yeah. looking into it caveat there is that you can buy soft chambers on the secondary market right so you don't need a prescription technically you right. can go to ebay or one of those other other sites yeah. yes you can do that i just don't recommend using it unless you talk to somebody who understands it yeah. 
So like a hyperbaric party. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean it's it's yeah. not a toy, right? Like this is a, this is a medical device. Yes. Um, yeah. Treat it, it is safe, right. but at the same time, it's important you understand what you're doing. Yeah. Because there are some risks. I mean, the biggest risk is to your ears, like I mentioned earlier, oh. because you have that pressure sensation in your ears. Pop, yeah, yeah. If you have like a cold or if you have like a lot of wax pop in your an ears, eardrum or something. you can pop an eardrum. Yeah. yeah, and I have seen it. I mean, it happens to scuba divers. Right. It happens to people in my chambers very, very rarely right. because we know it's, it's a risk. Right. That's the biggest thing. If you have a fever, you don't want to go into chamber because it can risk, you can get a higher right. risk for seizure. Um, but you can also... Like what I love about the chambers is you can stack a lot of things, right? Yeah. In the using the biohacking vernacular, right? You yeah. can think about using ketones, right? right? You can think about using that hyperoxygenated period afterwards to do brain tasks and cognitive tasks. Yeah. And you can think about it doing neurofeedback. And I have a guy in Palo Alto that does uh, a, boc- uh, a bike with oxygen and then does brain QEEGing and neurofeedback. And, yeah. And then you add ketones to it, and uh, you can go crazy. But um, one thing at a time is always my recommendation, <laughs> yes. if possible, and also understanding what you're doing. Yeah. No, appreciate the time here. I mean, any any last words? I feel like you know we covered a broad swath here. We should definitely talk offline about how we could maybe do some research or you know publish some case studies on, uh, you know hyperbaric therapy and, and ketones i mean i think that's a very active area of research so it'll be it'll be fun yeah, yeah we could definitely keep do that yeah hey yeah it's been a pleasure yeah thanks Cheers. for having me i think my last thoughts would be like i said we're this is an ecosystem of just improving in performance in yeah. every capacity whether you have a condition that you're dealing with or whether you're just trying to feel better and the i think the key is the education yeah on all sides understanding what you're doing why you're doing it doing things safely doing doing it in understanding that everything's a network right. and doing uh, just trying to do good for society right cool. and, and uh, looking at things in a bigger picture so, awesome yeah. so where can Scott where, where can we find you online so where do people follow your work I mean I, I will definitely Zill will have all your links posted yeah, but yeah. Y- you know a couple places yeah. so uh, my main hyperbaric site is integrativehbot.com okay. so the word integrative and the letters hbot.com if you just put my name in with MD, you'll get that site. Yeah. And there's also the Health Optimization Medicine website that just came out. That's healthoptimizationmedicine.org. And that's going to be our framework for the nutritional foundational uh, integrative medicine uh, certification that we're working on for practitioners and, and docs, too. And then I'm also on Twitter at, at Dr. Schur. Okay. And I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, yeah. people will find you. Yeah. All right, so that was an awesome conversation. We'll definitely have you back on, and I think if there's interesting collaboration areas around hyperbaric therapy and, and ketones. Absolutely, um, I'm excited. And as always, stay tuned and follow us on both iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks so much, and see you guys next time.